0: resilient. This would be the one word to describe TJ Bruce. After his playing career ended, he decided he wanted to get into coaching. He first started coaching at a junior college where he was making $5,000 a year while supporting his wife who was still in school. He was passed over three times while he was a volunteer assistant at Long Beach State for a paid position. He never gave up. After he became the head coach at the University of Nevada, he unfortunately had a player pass away and 2 weeks later his dad passed away. He held it all together and became a stronger man. He did all of this while becoming one of the most well-known college recruiters in the country, won a national championship and had a family with 4 kids. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on TJ Bruce. <laughs> We are now live with T.J. Bruce, who is the head baseball coach at the University of Nevada. T.J., thanks for coming on today.
1: No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Well, uh, you know, one of my colleagues is Ty Moore, who, uh, you know, went to UCLA. You coached at UCLA. He spoke uh, really highly of you and just said you'd be an awesome guest to have on the show because you have (laughs) such a cool story. Um, And I've I've been looking up, uh, you know, your bio and everything. And so it looks like you started out playing out of high school. You went to uh, junior college. Is that correct?
1: Yep. So yeah, I went to Cerritos junior college.
0: Okay. So you went, you, you played there for, and then transferred to Texas tech, which I saw you yep. hit over, hit over 300, played in 55 games. So you were an everyday starter. Why did you decide then to transfer, um, to Long Beach state?
1: Well, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, not funny really, but, um, it just it, it was one of those things that didn't work out i think it was a it was a mutual thing for sure um you know whether it was me or them um it just so happened i did i did i played every day played shortstop every day for them um but in most cases when you don't have the season that the program wanted to um you know there's changes need to need to be made and and i was always aware of that um and so there were some things that I need to change too. I needed a little different changes senior. I need to go back to where I'm from and where I'm comfortable, comfortable in terms of the the type of style we play. Um, And coming from Cerritos college where George Horton and Dave snow and Mike weathers and all these guys played for under Wally Kincaid. um, There was a certain style that we played. And so it it was, it was mutual. Um, So I went back home and, and played at long beach state and i wanted to go to omaha that was that was really the bottom line Um uh, i probably should have gone to long beach state right had a junior college but uh you know there's different avenues everybody gets let on and um, i didn't but it was the best decision really of my life for me to go back home and play in front of my family and friends and be on a really good team and uh, unfortunately personally didn't have the didn't have the success that's that's for sure but uh it helped me grow as a human being. So that's, that's the biggest thing.
0: When you say style of play, what do you mean? Well, I just, I think, I think when you're looking at things, uh,
1: you know, West coast, right? There's everybody plays a little different, but coming from Cerritos college, I played, I played at St. John Bosco high school who my high school coach played for, um, coach Gaylord at Cerritos college. um, and the Cerritos way and, and, you know, Wally Kincaid started this thing long, long time ago um, at Cerritos college. Like I said, George and um, coach snow and Bill Mosiello and Brian Hunter and all these guys have come through there. And there was just a certain tough, toughness of style that was, that was um, being played and being put on you, the mental toughness, uh, the physical toughness. And that, that's, that's what I grew up playing in high school just based on my coach playing at Cerritos. And then obviously I went into Cerritos and had to relearn some things and had to get tougher. Um, And it it led me to a lot of what I believe in nowadays because I've had that training um, of Cerritos college style baseball and it carried on. I ended up being back at Long Beach State where my coach played for Coach Kincaid and that's how we were at Long Beach and there was the the dirtbag style, the toughness and um that's really what it was about.
0: So when you were at uh Long Beach stage, I assume you played with Evan Goria and Tulecki and all those guys.
1: Well, so I didn't play with Evan. I was a I was a graduate, I was a uh, undergraduate assistant in '05, and I coached Evan, but I didn't play with Evan. I played with Tulo um, I played with Brad Davis who played in the big leagues. Um our pitching rotation was Jared Weaver, Cesar Ramos and Jason Vargas, who were all in the big leagues. Um played with John Falker, who was our left fielder who played in the big leagues. Um so we had six guys off that team that were that were major league players and obviously Jared, um, Jason and Tulo were I mean, they went on to have big, big time careers. Uh but I had a chance to coach Evan in, in 2005, went back there in 08, had a chance to coach Danny Espinosa and some of those guys, Shane Peterson moving forward, uh, before I went on to UCLA.
0: Yeah, that, that's insane to have that many major leaguers on one team. What, uh, so you were a graduate assistant when you came back and then did you transition into, uh, just a full-time assistant coach there?
1: Well, so in 05, um, in 05, I, I did I didn't going to professional baseball um i still had to finish my degree some coach weathers ends up calling and saying hey can we um can, can we bring you back as an undergrad and i wasn't really sure i was in limbo right everybody everybody thinks you're gonna play in the big leagues well when you hit 180 in college you're not going really anywhere um uh, so you they probably should have sent me back to junior college to figure out how to how to hit um uh, so I went back as undergrad in '05, finished my degree, and then after the '05 season, Coach Weller said, "Hey, you've been here for two years as a player, as a coach. You need to find out if you want to coach, and it's going to take a big time commitment. But I, I need to see that commitment before we move forward with you here." And so he didn't fire me, but he told me I had to leave. Um, and so I, I left, and I went to junior college, and I made. So I went back to my junior college in '06. And uh, made five thousand dollars, and got married in '06. Um, so, we uh, we were obviously stri- strikingly rich, I guess, right at five grand a year. Um, and then after '06, the '06 season ended, or I guess it was the oh yeah, the '06 season ended. Coach Weathers brought me back for the seven season through 2010 as the volunteer assistant so as the volunteer assistant you're making no money uh you're working late at night uh i was working in the mornings actually i ended up going working doing uh some some dock work down at the long beach docks from 5 to noon every day so i did that from 2007 through 2010 uh, cuz i wasn't getting paid
0: you do that for 3 years here.
1: yeah so 7 8 nine, four, 7 8 9 and 10
0: Holy smokes. I mean, yeah, how, how, did, you, how did you and your wife make it by?
1: Well, she was going to school also, so I made about $12 an hour was where I graduated. So I forget what minimum wage was, but uh, I ended up graduating to like 12 or 13 bucks an hour. Um, but the problem was I wasn't getting paid when we would leave for a weekend trip. You know, you leave on Thursday through Sunday, uh, so you're an hourly worker, so there was hours that I was missing out on. Um, but we had some help obviously from our parents and we had full support of, of both sides of parents, um, you know, to a degree. And then, uh, once my wife got her teaching credential, then she went in to teach and then she was the breadwinner making, I don't know, probably 25, 30,000. And we lived in a really, really bad t- part of town in Long Beach, North Long Beach, um, in some apartments that were, that was all we could afford. They were about 1200 bucks a month and, um, that's all we could do um and it was a it was a rough year, it was a rough part out for sure but, but uh sticking together, you know, just like any team. So we stuck together and made it through.
0: That is absolutely insane. I mean, during those 4 years was was there ever a point where like I I need to get a real job I this I don't know what else I can do.
1: Yeah, you, you know, I I think there, there there was a lot of time really as you're going through there you know, plus not only that as you're going through, we had some coaching changes on our staff at Long Beach. And so I was never bumped up to be the paid assistant, you know? So here again, you're getting all these guys passed over. You're getting passed over, passed over and right or wrong. I mean, I respect, I respect the business. I know it's a business. Um, so I respect the business and I really loved my head coach and loved where I was at. And I wasn't ready at the time. Um, And so, you know, I think during that time that I was at Long Beach, we had three assistants that were brought in from outside, other outside places and um, that were hired. And so in 2010, my mentor slash boss retired. So I ended up, um, you know, I ended up going, I was going to the summer, in 2010, I was going to summer ball. I had to quit my job on the docks. I was going to be the head coach in Alaska. So we had a daughter at the time. Uh, we had no insurance. It was during the summer, so my wife's not working. So I made $4,000 coaching in Alaska. And I was gone for three months. And then um, the guy that, uh, ironic, right, the guy that took over Ford, who I, he was an assistant when I was a player there and a coach there for a little bit. He ended up taking over for my boss, and so I didn't get kept on as a full time assistant. So Coach Buckley didn't keep keep me on, um, and so I told my wife after 2010, hey, after the summer I'm done. I'm gonna, I gave it a fair chance. I grinded. And I showed people that I really want to do this. And if it doesn't work out, then God's not says it's not meant to be, and so I'm gonna go do something else and get out of baseball. And then I got a call in July from Coach Savage changed my life
0: incredible journey i mean <laughs> that is uh that, that's that's unbelievable that you, i mean you've definitely they always say you know you, you got to pay your dues you've definitely sure. paid your dues
1: <laughs> yeah I f- and i feel that too you know i feel like i i feel good about that part i feel good that i was. you know you were told that you couldn't coach or you weren't ready and then you just you kept grinding and kept grinding and kept grinding and then Sure enough, um, it paid off, and Coach Savage called me in July and asked me if I was interested in the UCLA job, and I was like, are you crazy? Of course I am, and, um, you know, the rest is history. Then then, then you start – then it becomes a little different because now it's it's real. You know, you're, you're recruiting, you're developing. Uh, but the other thing that was real, too, is you had to step outside of your comfort zone. I was only comfortable with Long Beach State baseball. Um, I spent five years there as a player and a coach, so I, I really only knew that way. And um, now you step out on your own, and now you're realizing, can you really coach? And now you're not only coaching at at the Division One level, you're coaching for the team that just lost the national championship game. So it's either Omaha or bust, essentially, in that program. So now you're, you got a different chip. on I mean, of course the chip on my shoulder was I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I mean, I, I was told I couldn't coach uh, my own alma mater. Didn't hire me. Um, that's it. I'm going to go out on this war path and I'm, I'm going to develop and coach and teach and do what I think I know how to do.
0: So when you finally get to UCLA, like you said, already an extremely successful program. I mean, um, been able to, to put out a lot of really good players and teams. What's what's your – do you have a game plan of, like, what you want to do?
1: Uh, yeah, I think you do. Um, but I was so fortunate to be under Coach Savage. I mean, I think he's one of the best coaches in the history of college baseball. I mean, um, so I was so fortunate just to be led by him. Um, and then the other thing is, too, I, the other assistant was Rick Vanderhoek who's obviously, he's been to Omaha 12 times, uh, been a few times as a head coach at Fullerton, and then a, obviously as an assistant. So you want to talk about, A, my my boss was John Savage, which was the fact that I'm in the same office and sharing the same uniform as him. Um, I was so humbled to do that. But then secondly, I also had an assistant that was right next to me that was as successful as Rick Manderhook. So um, I, really, my only job was to out of everybody's way and follow the lead of of what coach savage said and that was easy because he's such a tremendous leader so that part for me adjusting to that was 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 pretty easy um in terms of who to follow what to do how to act how to walk how to dress all the above because you have to go do it over and over again and differently because it's a new program um so that part was easy now the, the expectations and the work and 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 that that that's a whole another. Uh, that's a whole another thing. Is what are you looking at? What's a Pac-12 player? What's a UCLA player? Because um, every program has their own niche for players and what they're looking for.
0: When you th- when you think of UCLA and, and the Pac-12 in general, I more specifically UCLA and the success that, that they've had. Would you say is, is it fair to say that the school, in a sense, recruits itself? And what I'm getting at is, do you have to go out and watch just as many games as a mid-major school? Or can you just go to the big tournaments and just kind of pick and choose the best ones because it is UCLA? Well, I
1: think, I think you know, having the
0: four letters, that helps,
1: right? That's a huge deal. I mean, you have under a 1% chance if you're a normal student at getting into UCLA. You know, so that's crazy, right? So the fact that you have sports and you got the four letters across your chest, I think that helps um secondly i think when you have a chance to play for john savage you jump at the opportunity in my opinion you know i have two boys um hopefully one day i hope coach is still coaching by then and and you know if, if they have a chance to play for him they're going to play for him whether i have to pay for it or not um so that's that's the second thing but but the third the third part um really is is you're competing each school is competing not only with each other but you know, our, our whole thinking then was, we're UCLA. So we're competing against the Major uh, major League Baseball draft, essentially. Mm. We're going after the same program or the same players mm. that they are. Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, Pat Vileka, Kevin Kramer. Uh, Austin Hedges was a UCLA commit and signing. Max Fried was a UCLA commit. Lucas Giolito was a UCLA commit. So we were going after the same players as as Major League Baseball. And that, in turn, is how you're going to get to where you got to get to. It's no different when you turn on the TV in Omaha. I mean, Arkansas has 10 guys that are 92 to 95. Ten. They got the shortstop that's 6'3", 210. That can hit from both sides of the plate. You know, so that's how we looked at it in terms of recruiting, and it was a great model because we did. And those guys that didn't make it to school, but they, they signed for $3 million. You'll take that bet any day of the week. Versus you know, the guys that signed for hundred K, you know? So I, I feel like that's who, what we thought. Um, and we didn't really go coastal per se. Um, you know, so you, every once in a while you would, and I think uh, you would run into Vanderbilt, you would run into South Carolina, you run into Florida, but though all those schools are doing the same thing. They are competing with major league baseball in terms of, they are looking for the same players as major league baseball. So that's that's how the recruiting model um, was. And the biggest deal was getting involved with good families. And, and if you're doing that with the model of getting major league players, then you you need really good families that value education, that value development. Therefore, most of those guys will either, A, sign for life-changing money, or, B, they will end up at school at UCLA, and you have a chance to be really good.
0: What was your recruiting pitch to, to someone who uh, was drafted pretty high, um, but obviously you still want them to go to school with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it's, it's no different than I would imagine what the teams are developing and what their the teams are doing and, and each, every program, it's about development and the college experience and um, all the above. I mean, you have a chance to, you know, the, the, and I've never played professional baseball, so I don't know, but I do believe some kids are better off signing and some are better off at going to school and vice versa, whatever. But, um, you know, the atmosphere is a little different in professional baseball, I would imagine, you know, to come to where college, you still have a chance to be a kid or you still have a chance to go to football games and do all that stuff. It's different. Um, I don't think there's a right, there's a wrong. Um, both of them have their pros for sure. Um, so it, it's just really that you're just trying to be as transparent with the kids as they can be. Um, and that that's your job. That's what you owe the families. So it wasn't bashing this, it wasn't bashing that. It's always like, hey, here's the facts of it, here's the history of this, here's what we think, and then, and other te- other schools and teams and clubs and all that stuff, they all do the same thing.
0: You're uh, you're you're pretty much well known as as one of the best recruiters in the country, and, and have been since you've been at UCLA. What like what do you think makes you such a good recruiter? I mean, in just kind of a, um, a short. Sentence, so not in sentence, but maybe just elaborate just <laughs> a little bit on on what makes you such a good recruiter.
1: Well, I think number one, you got to be able to evaluate, and that goes back into you know my time spent at Long Beach, and then my time obviously um, under Coach Savage. You know, I think that's number one, and and I don't mean evaluate the guy that's ninety four to ninety six. I mean, who can't see that? But I think it's it's getting the surrounding players um, around those those. Guys that will that will breed winning. So the makeup, the mentality, how's that? There's not enough time nowadays, in my opinion, spent on the phone with these guys. Do these guys play other sports? Um, go talk to their friends, you know. And that's something that we've gotten back into at Nevada right now is you know we, you gotta dive a little deeper because of different things in the NCA. So I think evaluating and the last and the second thing is relationships. I think you have to be able to develop these these relationships with these kids, that they trust you and that you know you're not going to steer them down the wrong path. We're not telling you you're going to get to the big leagues or not, but I am telling you this is what I can do for you, and that's develop you as a man, and the rest, we'll see what happens. The rest is up to you.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome stuff right there. Um and I I definitely agree with you. I think the relationships are so so huge and I, I also liked how you said how uh, you know, it's anyone can look at someone throwing 95 96 and be like, yeah, like that's a great player. Like no kidding, but to be able to kind of develop that's just a, another ball game. Um obviously you you're now at Nevada. What was the like a situation like so you were at UCLA? You had the option to go to Nevada. Why did you end up taking that, that gig instead of staying at UCLA?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I called Coach Savage, and I remember I'm, I'm emotional about it because I don't really know what to do. I feel like I'm, if I left, I would be letting him down. and um, You know, he, he was really good about it. He's from Reno, so that part um, for him and I were, were a lot easier than if I was just picking up and going anywhere. Um, but he, he, he just re really reemphasized that I was ready. Um, even though at the time I was 32 and he said, Hey, you're ready to go. Um, you need to go spread your wings and, and obviously we'd love to keep you, but I, I do think this is a great opportunity and a great community and city and a place that you can win. And that, that was ultimately, um, what we talked about most of most of the hard conversations about all that stuff. And so I, I ended up stepping out on my own there again, I think, it, it's scary, right it's scary because now everything is your fault now um if the program doesn't succeed it's you're you are you are to blame in a sense um to where you know as an assistant, you can always hide behind the head coach because this is this and that, even though you may make a lot of decisions um on recruiting or running an offense or defense or whatever but um, it was scary, and I think. Sometimes when guys, you see a lot of guys don't go on their own, maybe because they don't believe in themselves or trust themselves, but I, I was ready for the challenge, and it's a challenge, there, there's no question, but anything you do is a challenge, being married is a challenge, being a dad is a challenge, all the above is a challenge, but to be great at it, you got to accept the challenge and trust yourself and trust where you come from and lean on those experiences, and that's what I've done here.
0: Yeah, I was actually gonna say earlier, uh your wife is definitely definitely a keeper. I mean to be you know, to be with you this entire journey, I mean, she she's definitely the one.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's great, man. She's um she's a coach's wife through and through. Um but we we've had some help too. You know, I, I definitely I definitely don't think unless you come from a coach's background in terms of family, you were raised by a coach or whatnot, I definitely think it it, it is difficult at times and can be challenging. Um, No question. Just like being married to a minor league player, you know, it's challenging at times and you can never really prepare, but we've had some help. I mean, we, we had Lisa Savage, who was a huge mentor for my wife um, just as coach was with, with me, you know, she grew up a a coach's daughter. Um, So having that relationship and, Um, coach Weathers, who I coach for was married, has been married for years and years. And Charlotte was a huge deal. So we've had help. We, we haven't definitely haven't done it all by ourselves. And there's been trying times where we've had people to lean on and that, that have our best interests and can kind of try and navigate us as best we can through, um, the, the the tough waters at times.
0: How do you balance having um, a family with four kids and a wife? (laughs) Plus being the head coach of a, of a division one baseball program. Like, I mean, how do you even, I mean, do you just write everything down? Like, how do you go about that?
1: Well, I'm fortunate to be married who I am married to. So I don't do, I hate to admit it. uh, I don't do a lot at home. I mean, I don't, I don't make a lot of decisions. Um, I'm not there for practices. Uh, I don't, I'm not there to take kids to school. Uh, I'm not there for school pictures. I don't, I don't my wife allows me to coach and she allows me to run a program. Um, I do do what I can when I'm around. Um, If we're off one day, then I'll try, you know, the, the biggest luxury about living in Nevada, you know, in Reno, I, I live two miles away from the school, you know, to where UCLA, I live 40 miles, you know, and in LA traffic, that's two hours. So you had to beat the traffic, get up early, this and that. So I do have opportunities now to stay and take my son and my daughters to school or whatnot. But the key is, is my wife. That's the key. She lets me do what I need to do. Um, she understands it. She knows what we're chasing. Um, so she gets it. And that that's the biggest deal. I I, I can't take any credit for that. <laughs>
0: What, uh, what was one thing, uh, that was unexpected that you found, whether it be a good or bad thing, um, about being a head coach that you, you didn't know you would kind of feel or figure out?
1: Yeah. You know, and it it was tough. So I I took the job in July. Um, I took the job in July. So July one call it of 2015 and you think it's just baseball, you know, and, that's what it looks like from the outside in. You think it's baseball. You think it's just recruiting stuff that you know. But um, within the first six weeks, we had a we had an incoming player who I obviously didn't recruit. He got to campus. He passed away two weeks later. Wow. So now, son, the first, you know, I'm going to say the first two weeks I was on the job with players and with the program here, um, you had a player pass away, a guy that had relationships with incoming players may have had relationships, and he did, with uh, players that were his hosts on the recruiting visits or whatnot. Um, and then two weeks later, my dad died unexpectedly.
0: Jeez.
1: So at 32, um, my first head coaching job, I walked into it and I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden you're hit with two things that are near and dear to your heart. And the other side is my family was back in Southern Cal. You know, my wife was staying down there. Cause she just got the principal job of her school. So now we had some challenges. Um, and I, I think that would be, you know, the wins and losses. I think perspective is the biggest deal. The wins and losses um, are great. You know, I have won a national title. I uh, would love to win another one, but right then and there, 32 on a new job. You are now not only the coach, you're the leader. Um, you're their friend, you're their counselor. You're their confidant. You become all these different things that you, you weren't expecting. And how could you expect it? Because you can't prepare for those situations.
0: How how were you able to, to kind of, again, only at 32 in your first year, those two different situations back-to-back when you just got the job, how were you able to, to kind of hold everything together and just keep it going?
1: Support. You know, I had, I had this community, this community is unbelievable community. Uh, our was great. Uh, my family was great. Um, coach Savage was great. Coach Weathers was all my mentors that got me to this point. That's where you have to go back and lean on them. Um, cause I don't have the answers and I don't really know, but I, I think as you're going through your life and whatever job you are, you may want more within your job, but, I will tell you, you better be paying attention to what the people above you are doing. You know, where you are in a time where everybody just wants some, the next guy's job, which is great, and it, it creates competition. But you better pay attention to what's happening around you. And fortunately for me, I had good leaders, and I did pay attention. So you just watch how they navigated. Maybe not the same situations, but something similar – um, whatever it may be. So that, that's how we did it. And obviously the, the, um, I'm a big man in my face. So the trust in God, I mean, you know, things happen, um, things happen and, but you got to trust that there's a bigger plan. And, um, I did, I, I did that.
0: Wow. That's a, uh, that's pretty inspiring stuff. Um, kind of switching back over to, uh, to baseball and and the, and the program yep. itself. When you, when you got there, was, was did you put in a completely new system, like philosophies for offense and, and pitching and everything, or how did you kind of go about changing the uh, the baseball culture?
1: Well, you know, I walked into a team that won 40 games the year prior. So you, you definitely didn't walk into a system or a program that was struggling, that won, won 10 games. But you still got to put your own spin on it. Um, now we lost a lot of guys, um, and then once I took over, or once the old coach left, a lot of the recruits left. So we had one recruit that stayed, you know. So we ended up going through a game of 60 games with 10 position players, jeez, um, which is crazy, and oh. and half of them were brand new. Um, so we ended up going through that season, but. You know, I, I think your system, I think you've got to have some non-negotiables, and I think you got to have some stuff for a program that you will not stand for or this is how you're going to do it. But I think your system, your hitting, your pitching, it's gonna a lot of it's going to be based on your personnel. Are we going to be more of a skilled team, an action team, versus are we going to sit back and, and hit? You know, that first year we were really fast and really left-handed, and so we became more West Coast-style hit and run, uh, drag and push, stole some bases to where you fast forward two years later when we won our league, we led the league in home runs. You know, so we were super offensive and we we never sack bunted. Uh, we led our league in home runs and we were last in our league in sack bunts. So, you know, I, I, think, I think it's just based on your personnel and anybody that tells you different. I, I just don't think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. I think you know, offensive coordinators will tell you the same thing. It's all based on your quarterback and who you have. You can't put a package in if you don't have the personnel for it.
0: So do you man pretty much the, uh, the offense?
1: Yeah, I do. So, um, I, I, I actually did both the last two years. So 18 and 19 seasons, I I did all the pitching and the offense. Um, here we were fortunate enough to hire coach Buckley, um, So he does all of our pitching, and then now I'm just on the position player side.
0: What do you make of all the different stuff that you see? I know you're on social media, but you just you see online, and um, just what do you think of all that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I I, I think I think there's always it's information, right? And I think no matter how I think you got to be open to information because I think all information is good. Whether you think it affects you in a good way, a bad way, or not, I, I do think information is good because you'll be able to sift through the right information to pass along to your players. Um, but I do think you got to spoon feed them. I, I think you got to stay with fundamentals. I think you got to—you I mean, can't run before you you can walk. You know, so I I think of how you're doing that, how you're presenting the information to your players, and how you're telling them not to make more of of this situation or that that inf- or that information or whatnot, because they're seeing it as well. You just, you better stay on top of how they're interpreting it. That's what, I, that's, that's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like the way you put that. And I just think that, you know, like you said, players ha- are going to have access to all this information as well. And, you know, hopefully they, well, I guess it's not necessarily bad if they try some of the stuff out, but hopefully there's a there's a reasoning behind it, because um, at the end of the day, we just want them to be successful on the field, and everyone's a little bit different, so maybe for some it could you know kind of click and, and make them uh, make them be more more successful um, at the plate. Now, when it comes yeah, I mean, to I, I, go, yeah, ahead. Sure. go ahead, yeah, for sure, good.
1: No, and I, I think you know I think that's where your system and trust and relationship comes in right away. You know, do they trust where you've been or what you've done? And then, therefore, in return, do you trust them that they will not go so far sideways or so far outside the box that they forget who they are?
0: Totally. What, what about the mental game? I think that's such an important part of sure. the offense, just hitting and just more well, really just baseball in general. And it's not really – it's definitely overlooked because it's not as much fun to talk about as the new technology and mechanics and everything – um, have you, have you implemented anything in terms of helping guys with their mental game?
1: Yeah. So the, so when I was at Long Beach and UCLA, we used a guy by the name of Ken Revisa. Oh yeah. Who unfortunately Ken passed away a year ago, but, um, you know, so we learned from the best. We learned from the godfather of the mental game. Um, I used it as a player and as a coach for the last 10 years. And then as we got here, we used actually my old coach, Coach Weathers, who was with Ken from 92 through his career at Long Beach, 2010, um, as an assistant and head coach. So we used uh, Coach Weathers up until 2019, and we still do use um, Coach um, quite a bit, but now it's become on us um, in terms of coaches. So I I think it's how important – how important do you make it? Because I think right now in in NCAA, the hour restrictions, the time limits – you know, so everybody thinks you got to practice more. Well, no, not really physically practice. You better start practicing the mental game more Yep. in our opinion. And that's what we've been able to do here. And that's what we've done. So we've made it important to us um, uh, on what it is and what it stands for and how you can use it. Because as you know, you're going to use the mental game a lot more in your personal life than you ever will on a baseball field. Um okay. So I think it's important that these guys have a foundation in the fundamentals, just like they need to have fun. They need to be fundamentally sound physically.
0: Yeah, I think a big part of it is is also when it comes to the mental game. Is whatever your routine is, and again, there's some people that get into meditation. There's some people that it, it, just all sorts of different things. But it's just the consistency of it too. It, it's no different than than hitting or throwing. You, know, you do it once a week, it's you know you're going to see very little. But you start doing it consistently. Uh, every day then you're going to start to see some bigger results
1: no doubt and we see it every day in terms of that's something you can always work on like if i'm a pitcher and i can't throw a bullpen every single day you know so i got limited time i can be on the mound because of arm usage i can always focus my mental game you know i can Ken Revis used to always say You know, be where your feet are, be, you know, Dave Snow came up with be where you need to be when you need to be there. So it's right now being on the phone, I need to be on the phone, not physically, but I need to be on the phone mentally. And I think if you can do that and limit, you know, limit distractions, you'll be more present, you'll be more productive. And you got to believe that you got to believe in the process of that.
0: I was uh I was looking up some different different coaches online who, who kind of are really big into the mental game and one guy I ran across was Trevor Mohead. I think that's how you pronounce his last yep. name. Um, uh-huh. Have you have you looked into him into him as well?
1: Yeah, I I mean we have um now we have we haven't used him, but I I've read some of his stuff and um obviously I know Russell Wilson is a big advocate of him. Um I think they, they use them quite a bit in Seattle. If not, I know Russell does it a lot by himself. So, um, but it's great stuff. I mean, they got, it's just so interesting how present the mind is not most of the time. Yeah. So how can you bring yourself to present?
0: Yeah, and what I, what I really like about him is it's it's really he really makes it pretty simple and he makes it where he talks about how you know very simply don't say anything negative about yourself out loud, right? Cuz anything you sure. say is 10 times more powerful than something you think and anything negative that you say is 3 to 4 times on top of that uh more more empowering. So that's 300 to 400 times more empowering than if you just think it. So it's really important to not say anything negative about yourself out loud. And I and I think that's something that's that's tangible for players.
1: No, I think it's – I mean, people don't like to be around negative people. No. You know, so I, I think that's just an influence of people. You, every day our mouths have a chance to influence people. You know, so your mouth is essentially the rudder of your life, and your mouth speaks out what really comes from your heart. You know, and I think there's a process in all in all of that stuff, and you got to believe in that. And uh, so I think that's great stuff. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, Ken Reviser used to have this toilet, a toy toilet we used to flush. And that was the end of the negative thoughts. That was the end of the bat, the end of the bat pitch, um, whatever. And once we flushed it, it was done. Um, you know, just simple things that are symbolic uh, to, to let go of those negative thoughts, if and when they creep in.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. When you when you talk about I know earlier we were talking about recruiting and recruits um, mm-hmm. I know eleven point seven scholarships as Division one how do you decide how much an incoming recruit gets whether it's fifty percent twenty five eighty like how does how does how do you decide that? Well, I think everybody has
1: their worth and um, and that's just that's part of evaluating. You know, so when you're going out to evaluate, everybody has tools, and what tools are you working off of? And obviously, we know that what the pro scale is, um, college tools. There's no 80 arms in college or or whatnot. You know, she so may have to dummy that down a little bit and work off of um, a, some different grades. A four in the pro scale is this, a four in college is above average player, let's say, or, or whatever it may be. So every every tool has a number. Every every tool the more tools obviously that they have, the higher the money is going to be able to go, you know? And I think, I I think the one thing we do fall into the trap of, and I do it too all the time is we do not, we are so scared to pay players in terms of increase their scholarship. Um, Hey, you see this guy, you value him pretty good. You think he's a frontline guy. You think he's an all American. Well then put him on scholarship. Like he's an all American. You know whether that's 50%, 60%, 70%, you're going to have to have those big chunks of scholarships to be successful teams. You can't have a bunch of 25% or this and that lower money players because then you're just going to end up being pretty average. And I think it's no doubt um, it could be the same in professional baseball. I mean, you're going to have to have some guys in there that you have to pay the one and two starters. You have to pay the shortstop. You have to pay you know, the closer, you know, you have to pay those guys. And then you have the other guys that are just as impactful, which that's how your team is great becomes great.
0: Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely, I agree. I really, really do. Um You, you definitely got to gotta get those big dogs in there. And, and sometimes, you know, especially when you're competing with other schools um, you might have similar offers or, or whatever it may be. I mean, that, that money isn't is important now i guess on the flip side is you know you give them 60 70 percent and they come to school that first year and they stink right and i think what you (laughs) right what what sometimes happens is you see at these bigger schools is those guys aren't back the next year right they're at a junior college um what do, you, what do you make of, of that, of of those bigger schools, sometimes recruiting players? And I've seen it even in the fall. The guys come in in the fall, and they don't play well. They're on a big scholarship in the spring. They're at a junior college.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's a part of the false sense of security we create as a society. You know, and I, I that's what I think. Um, you know, and it's no different. I have a son that's six years old, and he loves baseball and this and that, but I mean, if my son's no good, then he's no good. I need to tell him that he's, you know, maybe not in those words at this time, but I need to tell him like, Hey son, you need to work on this or this is what's going to happen when he gets to the point that he can understand that. But that's a, that's a part of parenting. You know? So I I think, I think you fix that. If you, if you fix that with your parenting, it's going to make my job a lot easier. You know, no different than when we have Family Weekend. Um, We've done it the last two years. We have Family Weekend every weekend. We bring all the families in. Um, This year we had over 200 family members along with our players. Um, And the first sign on the the slideshow is if you do not want honest coaching, go home. Mm. You know, so part – so that – and it's no, it's, you don't mean to be demeaning, um, but you do mean to challenge and you do mean to be transparent. That's what you do owe these families. And I think there again, I think that goes back into re- evaluation and recruiting. And I think as long as you clear cut that and say, hey, this is what's going on, this is where we do see you right now, instead of just telling the guy, Hey, I think you're going to start, but deep down, you know, he has no chance to start. That's where it becomes misleading. And I think that's where frustration lies amongst families um, and players and whomever is involved.
0: Do you look at uh, junior college uh, players a decent amount? Yeah, we do. You know, I I think
1: I, I definitely do. I think there's a lot of good ones out there and I think there's a lot of good JC programs that do a really good job. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think you need those guys. You need impact guys to come in right away and play, and um, so we do. We do. We do quite a bit.
0: Um, if I'm a recruit right now, listening to you, what what are some of the the best best like things that you could kind of describe about going to the University of Nevada and playing baseball there?
1: Well, I, I think I think you have you have a chance to be developed. I think people sell development um, because it's easy. It's like, you know, development and culture go, you know, culture is the word, the buzzword right now. Um, but I think it's development. I I think if you're, let's say if you're an infielder, um, there's no reason why you're not going to come play for me per se at Nevada, because if development is key, then I've coached Tulo, Danny Espinosa, Evan Longoria, Pat Vileka, Kevin Kramer. There's five guys that are playing in the major league baseball right now that all played shortstop for me at one point in time. So why, are you, so what are you going to tell me now that you're not into development? You know, so that's part of the, the question asking and say, Hey, what's important to you? I'll coach development. Okay. Boom. Here's what I got. And at any point in time, I can get too low on FaceTime and say, Hey, Here's what we got. Here's a video. Or I can send it to him and say, hey, I need you to break this down for me. Can you give me some help? Boom, boom, boom. And that's then there you have it. You know, the other side, obviously guys want to go to places that win. Okay, well, we haven't been to a regional, let's say. And we haven't been in 20 years, and that's no lie, and I do not lie about that. But I will tell you what we have done here is we've won the most games in our league since the time I've been here. Fresno State has a national title, San Diego State, New Mexico, all these schools, UNLV. We've, Nevada's won the most games in, your, in our conference since we've been here. So there's development and there's winning, and now you got a coach that has a national championship ring. Not There's not a whole lot of those around. Plus, we got a guy in our staff that has a World Series ring. So in my opinion, development, 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 development. If that's what you're looking for, then you're coming to Nevada.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty. Are you, good... are you sold?
1: Are you in or out? You in? Let's
0: go! Come on. <laughs> oh, I love it! I mean, hey, if I'm a middle infielder <laughs> and you you just uh, say all those names and then get Tool on Facetime, I mean, how could you say no to that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think you know, and then, and then you add in the city, obviously, and you're in a small town, and you get three thousand people and that at your game, and you go out to eat, and you feel, and the booster not the booster but the, the fan sees you and they say hey how are you good job tonight great to see you see you tomorrow good luck that's a big deal you know I think if you're looking for that in that college atmosphere I think I, I don't see why you're not you're not coming to Nevada
0: I actually I have heard I was actually talking to Ty about this earlier today that's um, at the at practice is uh, Reno is a pretty cool city from what what he was telling me
1: oh man it's awesome it's great you know you're about 40 minutes from Lake Tahoe um so that will take you to north shore south shore you're about an hour away so at any point in time you drive up for dinner um, it's an unbelievable city um i'm fortunate to be here um, super fortunate to to work and coach here and and live here so we uh my family loves it
0: awesome well tj you know you've had a an incredible journey um a great story um, just a, a testament to hard work, perseverance, and it's 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 inspiring, especially even you sharing about even when you just got the job and you got a couple more blows with your dad passing away and your player passing away, and um, it's just it's really really cool to just hear your story, and I, I I'm excited to put this episode out so other people can hear about it as well, and um, I just really appreciate you you coming on the podcast and I'm just sharing everything, man. It's been great
1: no no problem uh thank you for having me and if you ever need anything please don't hesitate to give me a call fortunate to be to be on your show
0: awesome thanks man